chillin' and uh, you will hear about the eliminating of the negative and the accent on a positive. And gather round me, chillin', if you're willing, and sit tight while I start reviewing the attitude of doing right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. This podcast is sponsored by Four Data, a Canberra-based company that is committed to ensuring business owners have reliable and professional IT services. I'm a client of Four Data. I use their website hosting services, and I'm also reducing my email spam with their secure email hosting service. As a special offer to the Joyful Frugalista podcast listeners, Four Data will provide wherever you are website hosting at twelve dollars a month and up to two hours initial free migration service, valued at $300. Find them online at number 4data.com.au. 4Data, they fix IT. Hello, frugal listeners, and welcome. Today I have with me a very special guest, and in fact she's been my house guest this weekend. Welcome, Aranka. Hello there, and it's been wonderful too, I have to say. Spoiled. I'm going to say spoiled, yes. Well, I think I was spoiled because you were the one who was icing my birthday cake. So thank you very much for that. Such a load of fun. Gorgeous. I mean, even gold leaf. Come on. It was even gold leaf. I know. It's fabulous. Gold everywhere. My guest today is Aranka Nolan. So she has many roles. She is a chef. She's founder of the Chameleon Catering Company. She's an urban farmer and we talk a lot about her urban farming adventures. She's also a creative and a marketer. She is host of the Thrive Live program on Triple H 101 FM, and I am a guest on her show most weeks. It is such a delight today to turn the tables and have her as my guest today. So thank you so much for doing that, Aranka. Oh, it's wonderful. It's it's a, a great thing. Sharing knowledge is, is really what we have to all do. Yeah, exactly. And everyone has different pathways. Like I said, I'm turning the tables because usually I'm your guest. I'm going to ask you what you ask me most weeks, and that is, what are you cooking this week? What happens, I also cook, I'm the the head chef at uh, Warrawee Bowling Club. And so every week we change the cuisine. The objective there is to keep people interested and hopefully evolve their palate. But in the background, I'm trying to take them to a better quality of food. If you can imagine a standard bowling club, and these are fine things, I know that they have a place in society, but on a Friday night, after someone or everyone has worked a hard week, I want to be able to give them a food experience that is a little bit better and a little bit more comprehensive, and therefore I go to great lengths. So I make my bone stocks, and they underwrite everything that I do from a flavor point of view, if it's appropriate. And if the salads are there, then it's fresh, crispy greens, and I try and get the best produce, so I also support the local community with that. There's a whole lot of different societal themes that run into every week's menu. At the moment, I'm looking at Korean, but I'll talk about last week because we did French, and the Ah. thing that happens with French is duck, and duck is one of those things that when you eat it and when it's done well, it's completely delicious. But a lot of people are very frightened of duck. I know. We were having this discussion last night over dinner because I have to be honest and say I've never actually cooked duck. Now, that's odd because I'm a foodie and I've seen duck sold and I like duck. Chinese 
culinary background. So obviously duck features very highly. Mm. And it's one of those things that it's sort of, it, it seems so scary. It's, oh, it's duck. It's scary. It's something different. It's peaking roast duck. It's hard. It's difficult. It's all the rest. Mm. Is it that, that hard? And what is no. the secret? Okay. So basically the difference between duck and chicken. So let, let's bring it down to something that we all understand. And, and you understand how to roast a chicken. You don't even think about it, I'm sure. Well, I still think about it a little bit because turkey is hard. Turkey is hard. Turkey is hard to get wrong. Turkey's not hard. I'm going to change your view on that. Okay, too. we're going to change our view on that, and I want to talk to you about Christmas cooking. But let's get back to the duck. Okay, so the duck. The difference here is that it's a chicken with a whole lot more fat in it. There are pockets of fat because ducks live on water, and you know, water off a duck's back, all of that stuff, right? So what you do is you take your duck that's thawed, so it's it, you know, in the right sort of temperature, not frozen. And you pierce the skin with a fork. So take it and stab it a lot of times. I'm going to say 15 times across the body of the duck. Because what you want is a roasting situation where the excess fat in the bird drains into the bottom of the pan. Once you've skewered or forked the whole bird, I make a stuffing of celery, onions, carrots. I also put a little bit of bread in there only because usually I have it salt and pepper and I stuff the inside of the bird oh and I also put thyme in thyme's really important it adds flavor and maybe even a bay leaf and chopped parsley I stuff that I take a skewer any any skewer metal if you've got it bamboo if you haven't and I seal the bird up fortunately there's a, a, a great flap that's usually available so you just literally sew it up with the skewer and you've closed it off pat it dry you put it into an oven that is, I'm going to say, 170 degrees. That's mm-hmm. pre-warmed, so make sure that it's at temperature. And you have to lift your duck off the base of the pan. Is this because of all the oil that's coming out? Correct, exactly. And also then it doesn't get stuck to the, the thing. You do the breast up first. So at 170 degrees, breast is up. And what you're doing is you're doing its first section of roasting at 170 degrees for I'm going to say 35 minutes and then once you've done that set a timer because this is relevant otherwise if you leave it like that you'll dry it out and it'll be horrid the second round of time you literally all you do is turn it over and you do it same temperature for 40 minutes Mm -hmm. now what you'll discover is in the bottom of the baking pan will be all of this duck fat collecting now before you turn your nose up at that None of this is to be wasted. Oh, I don't turn my nose up at duck fat. I yeah. know. That yeah. is a big thing. It's beautiful. Scrambled eggs, you will never taste anything more delicious. Great piece of sourdough. Scrambled eggs, hopefully free range if you can get them, with a little bit of duck fat instead of anything else. Oh, my God, good. Back to our duck friend. Then you take it out. Now, I have a basting solution that I put on, and it's got honey, and it's got cinnamon, and it's got a little bit of orange juice and it's got a little bit of orange peel that gets brushed all over the bird. This is where it has about a 10 minute break and you keep basting it so that it's got this nice coating on it all over. You turn it around and keep basting it and yes it's a bit sticky but it's all worth it. Then you turn the temperature up to 190 degrees. Mm -hmm. You put our little friend back in. Now it's usually going to be in there for another 30 to 40 minutes and you'll know it. You'll know it's done when the thing is looking golden brown all over, and you will smell it. It is a beautiful fragrance. Wow. 
Then whilst all of that is happening for the last round, you make up an orange sauce. Now I put Cointreau in mine, I put butter in it, I put lots of orange rind and I put orange juice in and obviously a little bit of sugar and I reduce it down. And if you want, you can put cognac in it too. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And then when the bird comes out, it'll be crispy. Use the pronged fork to hold it because it'll be hot and you run the knife down the center line and then you peel it back with the knife. Now that takes a little bit of skill. If you don't have those skills, do not panic. Just hack at it. It doesn't really <laughs> matter. No well, I guess one's... it's going to be tasting so good and smelling so good at this point anyway. Absolutely. The reality is that that's duck. It's no more complicated than that. What I loved about your recipe was how you use all parts of it, like particularly the fat. And so often we don't. We just use some part of something and we throw it out. The duck that I've just talked through, the duck, nothing gets wasted. The carcass, once you're finished with it, that either goes into the freezer for the next time you're doing a bird stock mm-hmm. or if you've got enough ducks because for the restaurant I have a multiple of carcasses, I make the most splendid and, and this applies to anybody who's buying duck from the Chinese mm-hmm. um, barbecue places. Keep the carcass, definitely ask for the head and, and any other bits. Like if they're offering you duck heads, take them, put them into a stock pot Add lots of carrots, lots of celery, lots of onions, put some water in it, and then, you know, a couple of peppercorns if you can. If you've got some, some garlic, you know, sometimes the garlic is sort of little and it's too much work. Well, hell, throw one of those in. And ultimately, what happens is you'll make the best stock that you've ever had before. And if you're really busy, you just buy some dumplings and throw them in. There's dinner. <laughs> Well, I'm laughing at all of this because I've got some fond memories of Taiwan and the best ever roast duck that I've ever had. Now, we always think in Chinese terms, we think roast duck, we think Peking roast duck. And this was actually a Peking roast duck, although for a quirk of history, it's called Beiping or Northern Peace roast duck because the owners came across during that period of time where the political uncertainty in China, Peking was then known as Beiping. What happened was a lot of the top chefs in China went to Taiwan after the communists took power because mainly they were working for wealthy households and so they knew they probably would have lost their lives. So they came across with these households to Taiwan and then the situation was quite different. They often lost their jobs so they set up their own restaurants. And there was one just across from our office and it had a really interesting history. Now, I went there with work and I just assumed it was really easy to get in and it was all fine, but it wasn't. This particular place was so famous that there was one day a month where you could ring between a couple of hours and you could book to get in. Wow. And that was it. That was it. But my office had connections and they could get us in and it was the best ever roast duck. It was just amazing. And then, like you said, they don't waste anything. It's no. a good quality Peking roast duck or a Beiping roast duck. It'll always come with the soup and the soup often comes with like a type of sour pickled mm. cabbage with it and some tofu and some other things. Mm. But you know it's good because they'll carve it in front of you, they'll bring out the fully roasted duck and there's that whole, whole ritual of it. It's quite amazing. Peking duck per se, often we put shallots with that. You cut up in lengthwise. The other thing that you can do, which often people don't realize, is that you can actually take a leek and cut the white bits off and then have little shards of little skinny sticks of uh, leek 
in with your cucumber, in with your duck, in with your hoisin sauce, which is usually mixed with plum sauce in equal quantities. And that is a crowd pleaser. That is amazing. Um, I am just almost feeling bloated at the thought and the memories of so many banquets I used to have. Oh my goodness, I had such high cholesterol when I lived in Taiwan. It was such a wonderful time. Now let's get back now to some cooking. And I specifically wanted to talk to you about Christmas because I know we've had lots of discussions about starting early to prepare for Christmas and what's on the Christmas menu. The first thing I'm going to say about Christmas menus is bring your two hands together and make a sort of a ball that's the size of everybody's stomach. When you're off going nuts at the supermarket and going nuts at the markets and thinking, oh, the bus of Biafrans will arrive and I'll have to feed them all and I, mm-hmm. I don't want to run out, that is the stomach capacity of everybody. Don't over-cater to the point where you think that everyone will eat a kilo and a half of meat. They won't. And you'll have it for five days. And then you'll be scratching your head trying to figure out how you are going to get rid of or use up all of this ham, all of this everything. And in many normal years, people go off on holidays directly after Christmas as well. Exactly. You need to make a decision, have a look at the family. So one of the caterings that I'm doing for a family, everybody's getting a slice of beef and a slice of pork, only one slice, because I'm doing a duck salad, I'm doing various other things along the way that are entree there's nibblies, so it's a grazing afternoon. Now, there's a little bit more work involved in that, but there's less waste at the end. Whatever you think that you need, cut it in half, and you don't need four desserts, or buy smaller ones. Buy a smaller cake, cut it into slivers, because if you want a tasting plate, which is invariably what you're doing, don't buy a full-size pie that you think everyone's going to have a wedge out of, because they won't. And then you'll have all this cake sitting around and you'll think, well, I'm not going to throw it out. I'll have to eat it. (laughs) And that's why we all pack on an enormous amount of weight when we're together. Lovely sport, but do it in smaller portions and you can still get seriously full, as we discovered last night, even with the smallest of portions, especially if you're grazing. Mm. So back to the preparation stuff. You can make stocks early. You can make stuffings early. You can even, dare I say it, buy the bird early. So if you see some sort of a a discount on a turkey buff, you were saying turkey is hard. Why do you say turkey is hard? Tell me that. Well, I say turkey is hard because, and actually I wasn't there that year, but there was an experience my sister had of someone who had not allowed enough time to cook the turkey, who had only allowed as much time as you would to, say, cook a chicken. And so therefore the turkey was late and it was raw. And so it wasn't fully cooked inside. So that's why I say it's hard. Now, I know that it's one of those things that can often be dry because of the longer cooking time required, but it doesn't have to be. Okay, so here is the remedy for turkey. Don't cook a whole bird. Right. Buy the whole bird by all means because that's the most cost effective. And, of course, in my methodology, this is what I do every year. I buy a whole turkey. The breast becomes two turkey rolls. And the rest of it, and I fiddle it all out, I make a turkey tagine. Yum. And so that ends up being the thing that I bring out on Boxing Day or the day after that or even on New Year's Eve if it, if it hasn't been consumed. The bones obviously get used in the stock pot and you take the turkey breast, 
you basically put two layers of glad wrap on it you put it on a board you mallet it out a little bit don't go nuts but you can basically press it out you put a stuffing on the inside you roll that up you skewer it you wrap it in bacon and you cook it for 55 minutes only in a 180 degree oven yum it's not dry it doesn't take four and a half hours like some recipes i've seen and everybody is you have a greater understanding of what the portion control is as well what about with the other bits so we've got the the breast of the turkey and how you do that the other bits the legs the tagine i basically run a boning knife through the rest of it well like obviously bone the whole lot and seriously have a go yes it takes some skill but if you lay the bird in front of you and you run a line from from across the breast line breast up from the bum to the front and you run that knife ever so slowly in long strokes all the way along the carcass, all the way around the outside, and you'll have to cut through the leg bone and you'll have to cut through the wing bone. You'll have, I mean, what I can do is actually bone the whole carcass out and then I run a line down the the leg line and take the bone out of the middle and then again I cut all that up to be tagine, so in sort of one-inch pieces, and then that ends up, and it can be any stew. It doesn't have to be a, a tagine. I just happen to like that in summer with couscous and, and salads and stuff. So that's my thing. That sort of, again, means that the whole bird is used. It's a completely f- different flavor experience. And dare I say it, if you don't want that, then you make a pie or, you know, you can make a stir fry. Mm. I mean, it doesn't have to be what I do. But ultimately what you've got is the rest of the bird you have greater control when you've got a stir-frying situation. Yeah, and it's interesting because turkey it was an American thing. Like my parents growing up, they never had turkey. It was roast chicken really for as a special occasion. There was a lot of lamb, obviously, because in those days there were a lot of sheep around. Well, a lot, and it was cheap. Now, of course, it's the other way. Now, of course, it's the other way, so it's quite different. So it is a comparatively recent thing. But what I find fascinating, going back to your discussion about quantities for Christmas Day, is just how things have grown. Like I remember it was a bit of roast turkey, a few veggies and then plum pudding, but it's not that anymore, is it? Mm-mm. It's a big thing. And so many snacks you have before you even sit down to the main meal. There's big bowls of chocolates and snacks and there's canapes. And like I often find that by the time I sit down to Christmas lunch, I'm already full. Yeah. And then you have this guilt that, Someone's gone to so much trouble. I know. And really, the other suggestion I have, bring more vegetables into the equation. Make crudities with dips that are raw vegetables. Stay away from the carbohydrates. And then you won't feel like you've just had a loaf of bread. And I'm saying feel like. It might not appear that that's what you've eaten. What we have is lots of people eat all the little snacky stuff and their palate is already shot for the thing that you've actually worked the hardest on. Mm. And, you know, the game's over. And desserts as well, like... I know, desserts are huge. Well, and and why so many? Pick one. Yeah, this is an interesting thing, and I I think especially to people want to be hospitable. Like, it's a big day in the calendar. They're often seeing family they haven't seen for a long time. So people feel, I think, that they need to go out and do this. Um, And I'm glad I'm having this discussion with you and I know we were talking about this before because if I said this as the joyful frugalista, eat less at Christmas, 
People would think I was being mean and horrid. I'd get even more trolls saying to me, you know, your poor husband, Neil, your poor kids, you're not feeding them enough on Christmas Day. But I remember one Christmas that we had with family quite a while ago and literally the the table was groaning. There was about 20 different various seafood and other dishes, very expensive things. And all my kids wanted was a sausage on a piece of bread with a bit of tomato sauce. That's all they wanted because they were little. They didn't actually want the really expensive stuff. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And I, I think that we go crazy over Christmas with this narrative in our head that it's not Christmas unless we've got the blah, the turkey, the the ham, the this, the yeah. that, the other thing. And like, okay, plan for it. What are you going to do with the rest of it? If you buy a whole ham, how many people are you really inviting yeah. over? Because that's right, because you've got all your snacks leading up and then you've got the whole ham, you've got the whole turkey, you've got all the vegetables. There's a whole range of different things you've got. And so that's pretty filling as it is. And then you've got the desserts and you've got the plum pudding, the trifle, the pavlova, the Christmas cake. What else is there? There's mince a, pies. Mince pies. Thank you. A whole range of different things. Someone's grandparents' shortbread recipe. And now I've made this specially so you feel guilty if you don't eat it. Yes, and I sort of think all of that, and it's not like I'm saying don't eat well because everything that I'm suggesting is eating well. It's just if you have too many portions, I mean, ultimately, no one's going to eat more than, let's say, at the wildest possibility, half a kilo of weight in food per person. Mm, You'd hope not. but (laughs) Well, some people, like I've got a large husband who's six foot five and he will have a really large piece of steak but he probably won't eat anything else all day. You put vegetables with that. And let's say in the wildest dreams, he'll pig out and, and it'll be a half a kilo's worth of weight. But the truth of the matter is you've got to put some vegetables with that. You don't want, or I certainly don't like that feeling at the end where I'm so exhausted that I'm just non-compass for the next mm. however many hours. And hot, hot, uncomfortable, overeaten. Yeah, and cranky, and often too, it's easy to drink too much, especially when you're around family you haven't seen for a long time, and you're eating and drinking too much because you're making polite conversation, and it's sort of it's not your normal kind of conversation with friends. Often, it's a bit more hard work. Yeah, (laughs) sometimes, and and, and sometimes I I agree with all of that. And I think what came first is it that we overate and we overdrank, and therefore we got cranky, or what tips that balance? Why is it that people and families have the biggest fights at Christmas time? Is it the stress of mum because she's got this unrealistic expectation that often she puts on herself? That it all has to be perfect. It's the most perfect, important day of the year. It all has to be perfect. And and there's so much weight on her to do everything. And I've heard this from other clients that I cater for where they're tired of being the one who drives the entire agenda and everyone's happy to sit back and take it on and be spoilt. But dear God, they're not going to go to the shops and get through that whole craziness that is oh my god the shopping frenzy prior to christmas oh, isn't it oh, isn't it's it? ridiculous and again on a pricing front do things differently if you want to change the way you do it financially buy some frozen prawns that are already peeled that have no head on them no body on them and do a stir fried noodle salad for example mm. put some snow peas in there put some coriander in there, put some capsicum in there, put some Spanish onion in there. With soba noodles, you can even just go with edaname, which again are frozen if you don't want to buy the fresh ones. 
Make it simpler, but you can make these flavors fantastic, highly memorable, highly different, and and pleasing to everybody. And actually, they'll feel better. Mm, exactly. And then it's less stress for mum, and it's certainly a financially less stressful thing than when you've got to pay $45 a kilo for prawns or worse still, you know, whatever the numbers are going to be this year. Exactly, and that's the prawns I might add on top of the turkey and the ham and the vegetables and all the other food that we're eating. Exactly, exactly. And really there are other ways of doing it. You can literally get some salmon, get a whole side of salmon, get them cut into cutlets, keep the head and the tail, put that into a stock pot. You can make a hollandaise sauce, look it up. It's not that hard. I've made hollandaise. I've survived. It's nice. It's not hard. And you literally pour that over a the fish that you are, can cook or you can even poach it and then do it cold. Again, just slices of lemon on there. And serve that up with a potato salad. Again, make it easy. None of these things are hard. Yeah, so I agree. None of those things are hard. But it does require us thinking in different ways. It does. It does. Yeah. And it also requires a step away from the traditional. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of value in tradition and there's a lot of memories, but it is hard when many of us are battling with weight issues as it is and Mm. and everything else. So I wanted to ask you too, related to this, a topic which I know is also very close to your heart, which is how our food affects our moods, Mm. how what we're eating affects not just our health, but also our mental state. So there's, well, there's, gosh, I could talk for hours on this, really What I'm going to say is leafy greens. That's the most important thing that you need to eat every day. Every day. Every day. If you think about it, we all need, and and as you get older, you start getting taxed by your own body when you don't put the good stuff in. It's mood altering. If you eat too many carbs, you get tired and then you're cranky and then you're not. That never happens to me. (laughs) Oh, well, you're you're a rarity if that's the case. (laughs) Um, It does happen to me. (laughs) Yes. And so what often happens is that there are micronutrients that we need. There are salts that we need. And before I go through it, there are certain fats that the brain is, I'm going to say 60% fat. That might not be exactly accurate. It might be 57% or 62%. But the vast majority of it is fat. We need fat in our diet, but we need the good fat. And by good fat, I mean oily fish. I mean, avocado, Mm. those sorts of things, olive oil. All the other oils, without, with the exception of coconut oil, and there's still testing to be done on that, but for now, coconut oil is in. All the other oils you need to use very sparingly or not at all. Like the vegetable oil, you don't know what it is and you don't know how long it's been on the shelf. And if that oxidizes, then that is not good for your system. My recommendation is, Take vegetable oil out of the equation completely. Don't ever use it. Use olive oil all the time. Use coconut oil, absolutely. If you're a vegan, there are nut mixes. I would also suggest that you're careful because vegetable oil is still in some of those, but nut licks and those sorts of things are actually a respectable replacement. And the other part, of course, is that olive oil, you can put balsamic in it, you can flavor it with chili, you can do a whole round of other things with it. So it's, it's a fantastic substitute for those of us who like bread with dipping or some such thing. The mood side of things, all the berries have antioxidants in them. 
Think of blueberries, think of raspberries, think of strawberries. Now, the thing that you've got to be careful about strawberries is that they are sprayed with a chemical that can have a reaction to people. Mm-hmm. So you need to be careful of that. Nuts. Some nuts are really important in, in everybody's diet. Sunflower seeds are important. Chia seeds are important. These guys have magnesium in them. Brazil nuts, mm-hmm. really good. Put them into things if you can. Again, cut them up, chop them up, make them into pesto. Put them in those sorts of ways. That adds to your entire digestive system. Pickled vegetables helps with gut flora, which also means that the gut talks to the brain. Therefore, there's going to be a better transfer of activity there. The more crap that you put into your system, the slower you're going to be and the more exhausted you're going to be. So most of us who are older, if you've been eating a bad diet, you will feel tired. If you start getting off all breads and pastas and you stick to salads and green leafy Salads is the most important. Spinach leaves every day if you can. Wow. So that much green. Yeah. And so I have one final question for you. Do you have a frugalista tip? I do. Waste nothing. Everything has a use. In the case of the duck, use the carcass to make a stock. Use the chicken fat, fry it off, capture the oil, put it away. on obviously live oils like animal oils in moderation. All right, just because it's an animal that you've bought doesn't mean you can bathe in it. Not, not the right thing. Still balanced. Bones. Even though you've roasted the bones, don't throw them out. Put them into the next stock that you make. But the most important one is when you get a piece of meat that you're cutting the gristle off and the bone out of or whatever, or if it's at a family meal and everybody's had a T-bone, mm-hmm. keep the T-bone, stick it in the freezer, stick all the offcuts of the meat in the freezer, and then when you're ready, you might go and get a kilo of beef bones. Mm-hmm. But get all those things out of the freezer and put them in. So instead of it hitting landfill, you've actually then cooked it for a long period of time and extracted every bit of nutrient that you can, so none of it's wasted. Wow, that's a good tip. So all these ways in the kitchen to avoid food waste. Yep, that's it. I mean, it, and most people just put it straight in the bin, and it's like, no, no. no. Because, Use everything. Well, T-bone steak, you know, you're grilling it for how long? Let's say four minutes each side. The bone hasn't even really done any work and yet there's so many nutritional elements in that. Throw it into the next stock pot. You'll be amazed at the flavour that you'll get out of it after it's been roasted. Wonderful. I think we're going to do that next time. We're being frugalistas, we don't have T-bone very often, but when we do, that's what we are going to be doing. Thank you so much, Arenka, for sharing your wisdom with us today. It's a pleasure, always. Oh, listen to me, chillin' Anna. You will hear about the lemonadin' of the negative and an accent on You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And, of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. you got an accent, you wait the positive Eliminate the negative, latch on to the affirmative, don't mess.